This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to You're In Good Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie and as always I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie. Hi Mads, how are you this afternoon? We are good, how are you? I'm good, we've got Sasha here as well. Hey, I've got a mic now. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Welcome to the conversation. <laughs> I've always been a part of it. Yeah, I just that's why I paused and then I just... <laughs> quietly uh, yeah. skulking in the corner. You're not echoing this time. I know, you might be um, regretting this momentarily, like reaching we over We have a third host. <laughs> turning me down. I have a bit of a story to start us off tonight because it's the best thing that's happened to me this week and I need to tell you both about it. So... One of the staples in my household when I was like growing up, we had like two staples. One of them was like a packet of chips, usually like Red Rock Deli chips. And then- What flavour? Well, this is where the story is going to go. (laughs) Shush, Maddie. (laughs) You picked it already. Patience. (laughs) So, and then the second was like a block of Cadbury dairy Mm, milk. Delicious. What's that one with the white on the top? Oh, Top Deck. Top Deck. That Mm. was like mum's favourite, have it after dinner, like creature of habit she she is. Anyway, so when I was growing up, maybe like high school years, there was a- flavor of chip that I was obsessed with the honey Dijon mustard did you oh have you guys gosh, tried- I remember oh my no, god you've introduced I'm me to this I am like so back happy. when we're in your eight. Oh my god I'm so happy that you remember this <laughs> so sleepovers I'd come to your house yeah. I'd get that flavor go to the movies get a snack I'd get that flavor Always. mum would buy that flavor every single night 5 30 p.m you have a little chippy chippy before your dinner <laughs> this is so nostalgic nostalgic right one day this chip gets taken off the face of the earth Anyway, yesterday or the day before, stop. I walked down to the IGA <laughs> in the city for my 3 p.m. snacky snack. <laughs> and a colleague of mine said, Can I please get a savory snacky snack? Can you buy me one? I said, Yeah, of course. If someone asked me to buy them a snacky snack, I'm going to go rogue. So I got Say in. Snacky snack one more time. <laughs> I got in ham, packaged ham. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it and ate the whole packet. <laughs> what? But whilst I was in the IGA, Honey, Dijon mustard, Red Rock Deli chips were there. They're back. They're back. <laughs> so my market research was going to be, is there someone else out there that just remembers this chip as the best chip in their whole life that they've ever tasted? Do you know, I have a theory. Okay. That's just occurred to me, completely unscientific. <laughs> Maybe there was another grade eight person out there who was also obsessed with this chip and now they're old enough to work at Red Rock Deli yes. oh. and they've got a job there and they've spent the whole time campaigning bring to bring it back. Mustard. They've played the long game. Yeah, I actually feel like I should have been doing that and campaigning earlier. You're in the wrong job. I literally sent a photo of this chip to my family WhatsApp group. My mum replied being like, yum. I'm like, mum, you're not getting it right now. Dad being like, 
cool. I'm like, dad, you're not getting it. And then Charlotte, my sister, older sister was like, yes, I've already bought three packets. And I'm like, yes, there's someone else out there that's as excited as I am. I'm so happy for you. So if you tuned into last week's episode, you will know that I have recently had COVID and I had a little bit of spare time on my hands whilst I was in lockdown. So I decided what better to do than to read an investing book. Oh, that's what we tell (laughs) people to do all the time. Exactly. I'm finally putting my words into action. What I thought we could do today is to, I guess, save you guys from having to read the book too. Although I will say it was fantastic and I highly recommend you reading it, but I am going to give you guys the shortcut, the summary, so that you can take away all of the key lessons that I took from this book without having to do the hard work yourself. Okay. So you've sent me a little bit of a summary. Hang on. Maddie, what's the title of the book? Oh yeah. (laughs) Thank God we have Sasha here. (laughs) The book is, it's the number one personal finance book in the world. Apparently it is by Robert Kiyosaki and it is called Poor Dad, Rich Dad. I've heard Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It is called... (laughs) I mean, it doesn't it matter. Called, They're both a different end. It didn't feel quite right when it came off the tongue, I have to say. <laughs> Maddie's had a really long day at work, so we're just lucky to have her at this moment. Oh dear. Okay, so can you give the listener like I, who have no idea what this book is about, <laughs> like, I. like I, what's the rundown? Quick rundown. Great. So I'll set the scene. The author Robert grows up and goes to school and it's quite a well-off school, but he sort of is from a slightly different neighbourhood. He's just on the edge of the sort of entry to the school. So he would consider himself, I guess, poor or a lot less well-off than a lot of the other kids that he's going to school with. So from a really early age, he is quite aware of like money and wealth and what that means. Mm. Now, he is the son of his dad. (laughs) Yes, makes sense. His dad works for the government, has a pretty well-paying job. So one day he comes home from school and he's like, dad, how do I make money? How do I become rich? And his dad says, go and speak to your friend's dad. My financial advisor is always telling me how good your friend's dad is with money. So he goes over to his friend's house after school. He gets his friend on board and they go to his friend's dad, who is Rich Dad. Now, I think what's really important to note right off the bat is that Rich Dad did not finish, didn't go to uni and started his own business very young that grew very rapidly and he sort of built his own empire. It's like that typical like Silicon Valley tech story, as in I don't know what this guy was doing, but those people yeah, that just didn't finish. <laughs> no, but, you know, they didn't finish yeah, uni and they're smart and they have heaps of money. And So, yeah. you know, I guess the point is conventionally shouldn't be rich, so to speak, but makes a really good living for himself Yeah. versus what he refers to as his own dad as poor dad who works for the government despite having a pretty well-off wage is sort of in this what he refers to as rat race of like money comes in money goes out has to work to keep living well it's like I guess what we talk about a lot it's how you define money and your values around money is how you spend it how you make it what it means to you kind of thing so it doesn't mean that an education means that you're good with money necessarily exactly and that is what we're going to get into so you're going to give me the four key lessons from this book that I four key lessons that I took away personally. Okay. So Mads, you sent me a WhatsApp and you jotted down some of the key lessons to tell me to think about and reflect on. (laughs) I did that in my spare time. Shower thoughts. (laughs) The first key lesson was live to work or work to live. What does that mean? Yes. So I think this sort of comes down to the idea that for most people, when you earn more money, it 
sort of translates into high expenses. So if you think about you get the promotion at work and then you think, oh, finally I'm going to buy that expensive bag that I've always wanted. Yeah. Or if you get the promotion or the pay rise you've been looking for for ages, you might go and get a larger mortgage than you were previously able to do. So your higher income is just translating into more debt. I think they call that the lifestyle creep. I think yes, is the term makes for sense. it now. Whereas where you, when you make more money, you feel like you can spend more money and you're a little bit more flexible with your finances rather than being on such a strict budget. Yeah, I think probably the key thing that I took away from this book or the thing that sort of stuck in my mind most is the idea of when you work for a company, you know, you working harder is not actually leading to you being the beneficiary of your hard work. I didn't say that very well, so let me explain it. The way the book sets it up is if you work for a company – If you work harder, that translates into the company's owners and the company's shareholders earning more money and doing better for for themselves. So you're basically paying for their retirement, Mm -hmm. which leads me nicely to the next point, which is as you earn more money, the more money you pay in tax. Mm -hmm. So if you are working harder and get a pay increase, that's more money going directly to the government in the form of tax. Mm -hmm. Then there is a final point, which is the bank. So as you earn more, like I mentioned before, you might have a higher mortgage, you start paying more off to the bank. So I guess the point that the author is really trying to raise here is having a think about how you are earning money and I guess reframing it to make sure that your harder work or your increased effort is actually translating into increased results for you. Yeah. And so that saying work to live or live to work, is it that living to work is that you're potentially doing something that you're super passionate about and something that you love doing. And then because of that, you're actually investing in yourself and that's money is going directly to you rather than you're just being a workhorse for a big company that maybe thinks that you're just a little fish in the ocean. I think that's exactly right. He talks a lot about how people work in order to get money to feel secure. Mm. He talks a lot about the notion of fear and greed. So, you know, a lot of people work in order to avoid fear and feel secure So by sort of not finding a job or not working in something that you're passionate about, then the only other option really is sort of you're working for fear of not being secure. No, but that really makes sense. And I think that's something that did resonate me that I did reflect on because if I think about, you know, say this podcast and like what we're doing on the side and people, you know, might say, well, would you take it full time? It's always in the back of your head. It's like, you know, what I do on my day job, I love it, but it's Mm. always like, well, that's such a secure thing. Like I have a secure, stable income to like step away from that is really scary to think about. Yeah. The author talks a lot about that. It's not so much the lack of technical information that holds us back, but more the lack of self-confidence. Yeah. And so I was wondering, do you have any examples of where sort of self-doubt got in the way of like opportunity for you? To be honest, I have always like had a little entrepreneurial like streak in me and I've always wanted to start so many little businesses and I've had so many ideas and like done like massive research for them because I get quite addicted to doing (laughs) it and I've never started any of them. Just because it's like... Well, what about that, the podcast? No, obviously the podcast. I mean, yeah. that's just, it's different. But I've always just been like, well, it's going to be too hard. And if I fail, it's blah, blah, so embarrassing. But then every time that you listen to people that have started businesses, like they've failed a hundred times before they've ever found something that sticks. So true. But as you said, it's that fear thing. It's like, if you don't have a stable income, like how are you meant to get by day to day? So that's kind of what stopped me. Bringing it back, I guess, to like money and investing, as you have developed your sort of financial knowledge or investing knowledge, how do you think it's helped you to like find 
better investing opportunities or be better with your money? I think what investing has brought to my life is so much more knowledge about anything and everything because Mm. I'm speaking about it so frequently. And I think the thing that it gives me is opportunity to speak to people that I would never speak to, not only in the podcast sense, but like when you're out at a bar or you're speaking to someone at work, you all of a sudden have this array of knowledge, which opens you up to new opportunity. So I think investing in terms of that money sense, it kind of, you know, money comes through through networking, I find. Mm. And so I think that's what investing has done for me. If you just get rid of the traditional sense of like making money through the stock market. It honestly makes my heart like happy. (laughs) You look happy right now. (laughs) I think it's just such a cool way to engage with the world around you. Yeah. So you said live to work or work to live. Key learning here. How do you make your money work for you? So I think this brings us nicely to lesson number two, which is one dad had a habit of saying, I can't afford it. The other forbade those words to be issued. He insisted I ask, how can I afford it? So what was the lesson that you learnt? I think it's really reflecting on your own mindset towards money. You really need to start with yourself and reflect on how you think about money and how your attitude sort of influences the way that you do manage or don't manage your own finances. One is a statement, which is I can't afford it. And the other one is a question. And it really starts, it gets that mind working. It really makes you think. And I think that change in mind frame is so powerful. They talk in the book about how he draws a parallel between a person who goes to the gym to exercise on a regular basis versus someone who sits on the couch watching TV. Right. Proper physical exercise increases your chances of good health in the same way that proper mental exercise increases your chances for wealth. (laughs) Can I say this really does remind me of that because it's like that negative mindset of when you say I can't afford it or you go like I look fat or I can't believe I ate all that. You have a higher chance of like binging. Oh, I'm so poor. Therefore, buy the dress because you're already poor. You may as well stay poor. Yeah. As opposed to being like how can I afford it? Well, if I put $50 aside – for the next four weeks, yeah. then I then I'll be able to afford it. So it's like just reframing your yeah. mindset. I also think afterpay is super interesting in this space because it's like the psychology of paying less. Yeah. Over, but in reality, you are paying more, and it's like, well, if you can't afford it right now, should you really be buying it? Yeah, it's almost like you're not planning for the things that you want to be able to afford. Like mm. you need to be forward thinking and going, okay, I want that. So what's my strategy to get there? Because at the end of the day, you can afford stuff if you you know, to certain limits if you do really plan around it. I think it's Up Bank that's coming out with a before yeah. pay one where it's like, you know, you want, a new, buy. Yeah, you want a new couch and it's like, okay, well, that's going to cost me, I don't know, however much. And so you have to put your money away to get there. And I think that's Love that whole that. question of thinking, how can I afford this? What's my plan going to be? Can I ask you both a question? Yes. Um, are you like this with shares? Because I always put mine in my share account and then I'm like, don't buy anything. You've got to wait for the dip. Mm. You've got to wait for the dip. And then by like two days in, I'm like, no, I'll just buy an ETF. (laughs) And then I just buy it. So I'm like terrible at waiting. So one of the things that they talked about in the book and it really resonated with me was paying yourself first. Now, obviously, I mean, there's a level of probably privilege that comes with this, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to pay your bills and things like that. But what it, it's the shift in psychology, right? If my income comes in and I've started doing this straight away, I transfer to my share account and invest in shares. And then what I have left over is what I have to live with. And it's a really different shift in psychology as opposed to if I waited to the end of the month to invest, yeah, 
I would probably have spent most of that money and I would definitely be investing less. Kind of like my own saving strategy is I make my money illiquid and then I can't use it. (laughs) Well, I've also seen people do that, right, for other things like their health or something that they really enjoy doing. It's like they're putting 200 bucks away for pottery class or something because it's like that's what I want to do. So it's like making sure that you do have that money available. So what is your takeaway from this lesson? So Robert's Rich Dad said that true learning takes energy, passion and burning desire. So I am wondering, can you think of, I guess, any examples where that has proven true in your life and something that you really care about has led you to learn something that has really, I guess, shifted your perspective or really changed your life? That's very deep. (laughs) (laughs) One that I can kind of pinpoint was when I was in my teenage years, I was very fortunate to live in another country. I lived in Italy for a year and it was kind of the back of a burning desire to learn the language Mm. and learning that language, even though it's one of the hardest things you can do and it's very isolating, but learning that language completely opened my mindset to how other people think, how other people see the world. And I think it kind of has helped me define what success is a little bit differently Mm. just because, you know, you incorporate how other people define success in different cultures. It's not just, you know, what I see. Did it give you um, a new understanding of how hard it must be for people who move to Australia and learn English? So true. It is. And I also, even like when people have moved from another country, I'm just so much more like empathetic and want to give my time because, you know, Australians can actually be quite closed off. People say that we're like an open bunch. We're not that hundred percent. Yeah. And so I has completely changed my perspective. And you know what? It comes back down to the most amazing and most interesting people you meet because you've just got that slightly open, more open mindset. What about yourself? When I reflect on, I guess, learnings, some of the biggest learnings I've had, it's probably from a very close family friend of ours, um, someone called Matt. Shout out if you're listening. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he does. <laughs> but We've just had so many conversations over the years and I really take so much of what he says on board and I think it's changed my perspective on so many things. And one thing that I think he really taught me was there is always an opportunity in in every situation, no matter how shit it is or no matter how boring you think what you're doing is or how unfortunate things have worked out. There is always something really great to come of that. Yeah. And I think that has just totally changed my perspective, like both at work in particular, I would say, but in life and really just trying to, I guess, find the opportunity out of every situation. I mean, that's how the podcast started. Yeah. Well, it's like glass half full, finding a positive in every situation leads you to success. Apparently (laughs) we are going to take a quick ad break for our sponsors, but we'll be right back to find out what the second two lessons are that Maddie took away from this book. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, what's that? The third lesson, which was my favorite lesson that you noted in the WhatsApp, was financial education is your greatest asset. So what did you get from the book? So the phrase that really stuck with me, which I loved, it's a rhyme, <laughs> instead of working to earn, work to learn. <laughs> I feel like we're in a, like a prep classroom now. It's like, thanks, Mrs. Guest. Clap your hands. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so according to this book, money isn't your greatest asset. And if people are prepared to be flexible and have an open mind and learn, then they'll actually tend to get richer. Mm, I think this is the number one piece of advice that my dad has instilled in me mm. is take every single opportunity to learn. Like your learning is a total privilege and you have no idea where it's going to take you, but it's like, it's honestly the key to success. We are an investing or finance podcast. So, I mean, long-term listeners of the podcast will know how you got into investing, but where would you say your sort of money education began? Definitely like selling my mum fake fruit like setting up <laughs> shops, you know, you'd have a little cashier selling lemonade, but no, I walked myself down to Brumbies at 14 and nine months, which is the age that you can get yes. a job in Australia. And I got myself a little learner badge and a little Brumbies t-shirt. And I was so excited to cut the bread and <laughs> I, bread. yeah, except for when that workplace ad came out and someone gets like their hand stuck oh, in there. True. Yeah. That was the time That's that terrifying. I was working at Brumby's. Not good, oh. not good for morale. Do you know, I have such a vivid memory of us circa year eight or year nine. It must've been year nine because we were a year young for our year. So we were waiting to be 14 and nine months. Yeah. And I remember we were talking about three more months until we can finally get a job. And we were so excited. <laughs> it's so bizarre, isn't it? I was so excited to work. But coming back to your question, where did my, my where did my money story came from? I think it was just, again, instilled by my parents. My dad has always been like, you work, if you work hard, you'll find success. And so like, that was just the story I'd create in my head. If I get mm. a job, I'll be successful. Yeah. I was a baker's delight girl. Uh, oh. Yeah. So the other side of the, the coin? The other side of the bread. I feel like people definitely grow up one or the other. I was a Brumbies. Yeah, I was Brumbies. Brumbies they had better brownies. Circling back to my mum who loves Top Deck, she loved the brownies. <laughs> so. I remember once they introduced this new line of croissants. And what? Croissants. Are you one of those people that says croissants? Croissants, yeah. And then um, and, <laughs> and they were stuffed with like feta cheese <gasps> and yes. some sun-dried mm. tomato mm. and I hope no one's listening from my past job, but you know, we used to be able to take home what um, was left over at the end of the day, or if it fell on the floor in air quotes. Sorry. I and thought you meant, I hope no one's listening because your story is boring. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I don't think your story is boring. No, I thought you thought you were My right. former boss at Baker's Delight and, and they were like, oh, we're just trialing them. So we're only going to like sell six a day. And then the girl, <laughs> other girl and I ate all of them and said that they'd all fallen on the floor. And then they went, well, no, no one likes them. Um, so they didn't sell them anymore, but it turned out that we'd just eaten them so out of business. because of you, we never got to experience quasis with feta cheese and sun-dried tomatoes in them. Yeah, pretty much. And then, you know, it was one of those first lessons where I went, oh, that backfired because <laughs> they were so good that we just kept eating them. Also, why wasn't your manager like, these are two hopeless workers that they've dropped six croissants on the floor rather than, oh, no one likes them? I think we, checked, we kept changing the excuse between like, oh, they fell on the floor. Oh, they burnt too much. Oh, no one liked them. So we took them home that day. 
Yeah, it was not good. Maddie, where was your first job? Or better question, where did your money story come from? I think it was always sort of instilled by my parents to be engaged in the topic, but not necessarily investing, more just kind of like the how money works. And I guess kind of like you working hard and sort of what you get in return for that. But I think for me, it's been much more about like I am fascinated by businesses and how businesses work and what cool things businesses are able to do. And in my mind, everything really comes back to money and finances because, you know, someone, a business can have the greatest ideas or the startup can be the next biggest thing or the coolest thing. However, if they don't have the funds or if they aren't able to manage their money enough in order to achieve what they want to do, then they're not going to be able to do that. So I think I've always just been really fascinated by sort of how businesses work. And then the flow on of that is like how money makes the world go round. So I think we're all in agreement that you've got to continue learning till the day you die. Maddie, what is the final learning that you took from this book? This one is huge. I'm pretty excited to share it with you guys. Wow. This one is know the difference between assets and liabilities. Which sounds like really boring Well, it's accounting, right? Yeah. Like in its core. However, the author has quite a different perspective on it. So the way he defines it is really simple. An asset is something that puts money in your pocket and a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. So my ability to work microphones is an asset, but my terrible timekeeping of turning up late everywhere is a liability. Yes, because you currently are a podcast producer. So your ability to, yep, that puts money in your pocket. And also when you run late, instead of taking the tram, you have to jump in an Uber and then that takes money out of your pocket. Honestly, the number of times that happens to me. So you just have to look at my Uber account. (laughs) So why did you find this a really important lesson? Because it seems like pretty obvious money coming in, money coming out. So he has a pretty controversial opinion and I'll say it's controversial and I don't fully know whether I agree in it or I think it's probably just more complex than what he sort of presents. But his opinion is that a house is not an asset. Yes. So you told me this the other night uh, over a drink. So we had to sit for a while (laughs) and talk about it. I'll stay explain it. So let me rehash it. The idea is, right, is when you buy a house, if you have a mortgage, you know, to the bank, it's an asset, right? But the reality is, is when you have your mortgage, that house, all that it's leading to is money coming out of your pocket because you are paying off that house and you are paying interest on your repayments. But we see it as an asset because it's like, once it's paid off, this is something that I can sell off and make more money on, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the author makes the point that rich people acquire assets. So securities, so for example, stocks and investments. So, you know, potentially an investment property. Whereas he says, poor people add liabilities, commitments, and obligations. So think your mortgage for your home. And it really got me thinking, right? Because there is sort of this way up in terms of if I want to rent for the rest of my life, you know, that comes with a bit of risk, right? Like I am forever at the whim of my landlord turning around and saying, time to move out. I want to sell the house or time to move out. I want new tenants or I'm upping the rent. And Australia is really bad with that. Like overseas, they have really long-term lease commitments and people have more rights. Whereas in Australia, it's this kind of everyone is worried about buying a house because you can get kicked out of rental apartments, rental properties really easily. I think just what it really made me think about was, you know, we have grown up so strongly with this idea of the great Australian dream and that the ultimate goal is to buy a home. And that is what I guess is financial success in a way in my mind. And it's just kind of making me really reconsider, right? Because like if my goal is to grow my wealth and he talks about wealth 
being how long can you survive if you stopped working tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. How long can you survive if you stop working tomorrow? And he contrasts it from this idea of net worth, which is the difference between your assets and liabilities. And he says it's often just filled with people's expensive junk and opinions, which I thought was so interesting, right? Because it talks about if you think calculating your net worth, you know, you might put your car on there and you say how much it's worth and you put your home and you say how much it's worth. You might also put your expensive jacket or your shoes and that is apparently your net worth whereas in reality your car is costing you a lot of money your house is costing you a lot of money and it kind of makes more sense that your wealth would actually just be well if I stopped working tomorrow Mm. how long am I going to be cool for because that's kind of the goal right is like that freedom to not have to work and to be financially secure yeah you're making me think about it (laughs) I'm trying to calculate a timeline don't think it's too long You know what you're saying is so right because I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, it's it, it really doesn't necessarily mean your assets because your assets could be costing you a bunch of money. So you can't be looking at it in that hard and fast sense. Mm. So I like that it's like questioning your perspective and my perspective on when you first told me this, I'm like, oh, my God, a house is not an asset, which I'm not saying that that's what it is. I'm yeah. just saying that it's an interesting I mean, way to think about it. You can also still want one, yeah. but I think it's shifting it, the idea from – you buying it because it's an asset and because it's a really good thing to you buying it because you want the security or you want to build a home or you want somewhere for your family to live versus if you want a medium to generate wealth and to build your wealth, maybe that's not on his sort of definition, the best way to do it. So the four lessons that you've taken us through are live to work or work to live to find your success, baby. (laughs) One dad has a habit of saying, I can't afford it, whilst the other says, how can I afford it? Switching our perspective. Financial education is your greatest asset and know the difference between your assets and liabilities. What was your favourite lesson, do you think? I think my favourite lesson was the first one, live to work and work to live. I mean, I think the rest of them sort of flow from that and are a part of that. But I think, you know, I always want to be doing things that I love and I want money to be a side beneficiary of that, but I don't want to have to ever be doing something for money. I mean, obviously that's like quite a privileged thing to say, and that's at a very high level. I obviously need to work in order to make a living and survive. But I think continuing to have that mindset sort of drive the way that I live is a really positive way because you don't want to be part of the rat race. You don't want to have to go to work when you're unhappy just to pay the rent or pay the mortgage or survive. And if you are now, like that might be why you're investing because in 10 years and 20 years, you, you want to be able to change that for yourself. Mm, exactly. Like it's okay to be doing that That's now. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're in the rat race. <laughs> right yeah, now, yeah. we absolutely are. <laughs> so what was your favourite? Mine is definitely financial education is your greatest asset. I just think learning is such a privilege and it opens so many doors Learn one thing could start a conversation with you with a random person that could change your life. So I think it was a great lesson that I resonated with. And learn, not learn to earn, or is it the other way around? Learn to earn to learn, (laughs) earn to learn, earn to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time to read a whole book to yourself. My pleasure. And giving us all the lessons so I don't have to read it, but I probably will because it sounds like a goodie. I honestly highly recommend it. I mean, we have really only scratched the surface with our chat today. But as always, if you have any questions or you want to continue the chat, Please jump into our DMs on Instagram at YRGC Podcast or post in our Facebook group at YRGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. And we'll put in a thread in there for any of you who have read the book. Mm. We'd love to hear what your favourite lessons have been. Otherwise, you will hear from us next week. Catch you then. Bye. Your In Good Company is a product of Equity Mates Media. 
All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.